Good morning, good morning. How's everybody? Oh, you, you have no idea why you're clapping right now, do you? Did, did first service give anything away from this service? Oh, man. Next week, you should just stink eye them the whole time you come in. Because last service was, uh, it, it got bloody in here. And, uh, and, and, it, and it was good, it was good, it was good to kind of talk through some hard stuff and have some hard experiences together. But uh, man, this service is, uh, I just want to prepare you, this service is way, way out of my preaching league. And the only way that it's going to work is for the Holy Spirit to uh, accomplish exactly what he's supposed to accomplish in your heart. And uh, I hope he uses me a little, but more importantly, I hope you hear from him. If you're brand new, my name's Danny, and I'm going to be sharing with you today. I'm one of the pastors here at Kesed, and you are in week, I believe, seven of our Dragons and Dandelion series. It's a series kind of around emotional health, around dealing with uh, the dragons, the big things, and the dandelions, the little things in your life that just continue to reoccur and that are really hard to kill. Today, we're actually talking about killing them. Today, we're actually talking about not just facing them, not just... Uh, talking about them, understanding them, but really actually um, killing these things in our life that, uh, that, that God doesn't want a part of our health, of our journey towards wholeness, that he is removing from our story through his son, Jesus Christ. And uh, it's, it's just sort of a gloves off kind of thing. So if you're brand new, uh, this is not a typical service here at Kesed. And so I don't apologize because I believe God brought you here for this, but I do... I do uh, uh, I have a word for it. I wrote it down. I do have a disclaimer that uh, this, is <laughs> this is not every single service, uh, but you will leave tasting blood. So let's pray, shall we? <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, being able to have these talks, being able to face stuff, being able to go to battle with, uh, with ourselves and with uh, just, just the way, Lord, that sometimes we tend to live. I thank you, God, that you are so incredibly, genuinely in love with us that we can sit in a room like this and feel safe because of who you are, because you already know. You're not surprised. You're not, you're not overwhelmed. You're not, you're, not, you're not sitting in a place, God, that is, uh, that is pouring down uh, anything but acceptance and hope that we would lean into your relationship and to your life so that we can experience forgiveness. I thank you for every single soul in this room right now. I know you brought them. I know you set it up. And I know, God, you have a message for them today. So may I just get out of the way, and may we experience you and you alone in all of your fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to say one other thing before I dive right in. On your seat is a card for uh, a workshop that we are having in uh, two Sundays. This is Byron Kaler. Byron Kaler is the therapist that I meet with. It's kind of weird that you guys know that, but it is what it is. Uh, and uh, he is the man that I have been walking this emotional health journey without over the last three years. He spoke at our church, I think two months ago or so, two and a half months ago, and he is coming uh, in two weeks to close our series, Dragons and Dandelions. And then he is offering at a huge, huge, huge discount because he really feels that what we're doing here at Kesset is important. Um, a workshop directly following the service, I guess, at one, we'll break for lunch, uh, two, two to five, and uh, so we'll break for a good lunch, two to five, and it's 15 bucks. Normally, it's 45, 50 ahead. This is $15 a person, and we're offering childcare, and you can sign up at the door, although we would love for you to register so we know how many kids you have. If you want to take a deeper dive into your story, into what it means to really try to unpack some more of who you are than we can in the 35 minutes or so we talk on Sunday, I want to encourage you, 
come to this. Pray about coming to it. Come to the service. And then, like I said, come and uh, experience with him for that three hours. It'll be right here, uh, this workshop. So check that out. You can bring friends. And like I said, we as a church body feel it's so important. We'll even watch your kids 15 bucks ahead. Cool? All right, people. I'm just, I warned you. So you, I have no, I can do no more. I've done all I can do. Okay, listen at your own risk. Uh, we've spoken at length for a few weeks now around all of this, around the big and small, the dragons and dandelions. We've described them in great detail. By now, you probably know what color yours is. You understand exactly where they grow and what they are about. And today, we're going to turn and confront them. Today, we're actually going to take some ground back. I put this, word, this uh, quote up on the screen today. We're going to face together and with God the things we can't by ourselves that we may, and this is the word for today, overcome. It's a big thing to go to church and talk about your stuff week after week after week, but it's a really, really big thing to actually take a step towards taking back ground, to stepping out and overcoming even a portion of the damage that you have experienced and that I have experienced in my life, and yet this is exactly what the Bible tells us to do. Romans 12, verse 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We are called to be people who are on the team that overcomes. We are called to be people who experience uh, wins in our lives. And yes, we talk about losses and we talk about pain and we talk about struggle. And Kesset is becoming famous for this, famous for this. Bumped into somebody and they're like, oh, you're that church that tells people, you, you tell people to leave and you don't care who attends and, 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 and you don't even, you don't even, and like all you just talk about ugly stuff. And I'm like, well, we don't only talk, we don't only talk about ugly stuff. And I do wish some people would leave. I don't have enough, enough parking, but, but that's not, that's not what we're about. That's not what we're about. We're about people being able to face together the stuff in their lives that they continue to hide from other people because they just don't know what to do with it. And they just hold it. And as beautiful as it is uh, on the outside, on the inside, it causes so much damage and so much decay. So I want to start by reminding you how well God does with the unprepared and unknown. I want to start by reminding you in 1 Corinthians 1.26 that God understands that you're weak and you're struggling. He flat out calls it out through Paul when he writes to the church in Corinth. He says, for consider your calling, brothers. And you can add sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing, things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God chose you and I because of exactly the reasons that you don't want to face your stuff. See, this talk is by far the most uncomfortable talk for me to give of the entire series. I fought and fought and fought and fought, and I fought through the series fairly uh, well, uh, and, and I was honest about that a few weeks back with a couple other talks that were difficult. But the reason this talk is so difficult for me to share with you today is because this is the talk that I'm the least good at. Because I have so many dragons and dandelions in my life I've yet to overcome. And so now, when I felt in my heart I was supposed to preach this, I, I really wrestled with how, how can I authentically do this? How do I stand on stage and tell people this is how you overcome your dragons and dandelions? This is what the Bible says when there's so many things within Danny's life that I've still yet to overcome. And I cannot preach something I don't believe. It's, 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 it's a broken, beautiful thing about me. 
it makes me hungry to learn because if someone shows me something and I don't understand it, yet it would make a great sermon, I won't preach it, but I'll dive into the passage and the text below it because once it awakens to me, man alive, I can't help but tell you people. Well, this right here, the awakening was like more painful than I wanted, which was like, Danny, you're really weak at this. And I'm like, oh, hold on a second. I'm supposed to be the one on stage telling people how to overcome the dragons. I'd like to drag out a dragon skull on stage and be like, ladies and gentlemen, I used to wrestle with, but now I don't. And everybody be like, oh my, let's follow him. Let's follow him. Did you see that? He, matter of fact, a lot of pastors do that. I don't think they're really dragons though. I just think they're cats they found somewhere in a field. <laughs> Kill them up and they drag them out. And they're like, when I was in college, I wrestled with alcoholism but the Lord freed me from that. Then everybody in the room who wrestles with it's like, man, I'm such a, I, I struggle with, man, the pastor. I mean, everybody wrestles with something in college they overcome, right? Like everybody used to deal with something that they no longer deal with. Is that really the level of authenticity we expect from our leaders? You're gonna tell me about the stuff you used to deal with? Like, well, I remember one time I used to have all this anger and I used to have all this stuff, but man, I got over that. When was that? Oh, I was like 17, 18 years old and I spent some time in juvie, but man, now I'm totally, so I should be a person who teaches people how to deal with their anger because when I was 17, I got over it. What? Like that's a cat skull. That's not a dragon, right? That's not anything real. I want to talk about real stuff. And here's the realest thing I can say right now. I have dragons in the room because they're with me everywhere I go. And I'm gonna preach to you about what the Bible says will kill those dragons. And so for me, this week has been brutal. This week has been slow. This week has been heavy. This sermon took a lot. And I think it's gonna take a lot for you too to listen to it. And so what I ask is that you don't emotionally disengage. What I'm gonna ask is that you recognize that God said what is weak and what is foolish, he uses. He uses what others call shame-filled. He uses. He uses the small. He uses even what isn't to affect what is. I mean, you can't really get more weak than not existing, right? Like, you aren't. God's like, I can use that. I don't even believe in you, God. I'll take it. Like, this is the God that we serve. So join with me in my weakness. Join with me in this discussion because I do believe God will reveal himself to you, and I do believe Scripture teaches us exactly how we're supposed to defeat our dragons and dandelions, even if it's on a daily basis. We can see this call to step out into the unknown, step out into our own weakness from the very beginning. We talked about Abram a couple weeks back. We didn't really break down his call specific. Look at just his call, okay? This is Genesis 12, 1 and 2. Now the Lord said to Abram, this is all he says to him, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Okay, next verse. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you may be a blessing. So this is what God says he'll do. Go back to verse one. And this is God's leadership strategy for Abram, the core seed of all his people. Leave the people you know and the place you know and everything you know, and I'm gonna show you something. What, what are you, what? You're gonna show me something? It's gonna be awesome. Leave everything you know, step into this new place with these new people and these new challenges, and, and I'm gonna show you some stuff. And then out of that, I'm going to make and do great things with your life. This is literally over and over and over. He does it, uh, he, he does it in more detail um, with his son, which we'll look at in just a minute. But here's what God's reminding Abram. He's reminding Abram that in all situations and all problems and all challenges, God is present. 
He was reminding you today the same thing, that your job is to step out and let God do the rest. Your job is to step out and let God do the rest. Genesis 22, 17, God says to him, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. God says to him on this dark night, I assume looking out over this huge sky, he says, Abram, now that you've stepped out, now that you're in this place looking up at me, I want you to experience all that I'm going to do, all that I'm going to to share with you. He says, I will do it all. He says, and takes on this posture, Abram does, of you are my God, and that's enough. And he lives his life that way. I'm here to tell you, you are not going to find that in any leadership book that exists on this planet. But this one. No one's going to say, find a person, listen to them, leave everything you know, leave every skill set you've ever been taught, Nothing you ever studied in school, step out, follow them, and let them show you some stuff. What, what stuff? Stuff they'll show you if you step out. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a profound statement because the reality of what God is doing is he's unpacking Abram. He's turning him into exactly what Paul said in Corinthians, God likes to use someone who doesn't know anything, who doesn't belong anywhere, who doesn't have anything in the way other than his relationship with God and his reliance upon him. God dives further into this with his son Isaac. Because see, here's the problem what happens with Bible characters. We think about Bible characters in these big epic ways. and We preach the highlights, the big things about people like Abram. But we don't actually talk about how Abram lied about his wife twice. We don't actually talk about how he didn't wait on God's promise to create a child, so he created another child with another woman who wasn't his wife. Like, we don't talk about any of the other stuff after this. We just talk about Abram and the stars and the stuff, and it's beautiful, and it's true, but here's what's so great. At the end of Abram's messed up, broken life, right? I mean, I mean, messed up. And to his credit, all God said is, I'm going to show you some stuff. So Abram's like, well, okay, then I guess I'll show you some stuff, right? I mean, I, it, it deals a deal. At the end of it, he does have a son, Isaac, and Isaac becomes a, another version of Abram. And Br Abram and Isaac, basically, so you realize this, are just versions of us. They're just versions of us. But God goes to Isaac when he's struggling, and he takes him out. And he says to Isaac, he, this is what he says, sojourn in this land, and I will be with you. So he's reminding him of the promise, and I will bless you. And here it goes. And for to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. This, this verse is just a continuance of the earlier promise. See, God is not concerned as much with your stuff as he is with you stepping out to show, so he can show you his. So he can show you what he's going to do. And so at the end of Abram's life, he shows Isaac, look what I did. Look what I did. Look at all the people. Look at all that stuff that's happening. Isaac, I'm going to do the same thing with you. And then he did it to the next person and the next person and the next person. And then one day when I was 12 years old, a man sat on a stool in front of me. And I said, there's got to be more to life than this. And he said, there is more to life than this. And his name is Jesus. And he wants to do amazing things in your life. And I said, okay. From Abram to Danny. From Danny to you or whoever shared Christ with you. God wants to do incredible things in your life. And it doesn't matter how messed up that life is. God can still accomplish his stuff. But you have to be willing to go stand out beneath those stars. 
You have to be willing to go stand out and, and feel and experience and trust that God wants you to step out so he can pro- proclaim, I'll do all the rest and I'll overcome. I'll do all the rest and I'll overcome. Every single Christ follower from there to here is called in this same way. Every single one of us stands beneath those stars, those same stars, by the way, and that same God experiencing that same feeling. Every single one of them is hearing from God this call to do more and be more in their life. John 16, says, I have said these things to you, that in me you have peace in the world, that you have... In me, you have peace in the world. In the world, you have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. I am the peace that you're missing to kill the dragons and dandelions in your life. See, this is an awkward sermon, right? Because the whole thing really wraps up on Jesus. It did right from the beginning. And I have to admit that I knew that. That I know that I can't kill these dragons and dandelions. I know that it's always been Jesus. And I know that because it's always been Jesus, that the reality is there must be something broken in me that keeps me from utilizing who Jesus is in my life to kill the dragons and dandelions around me. What am I supposed to preach about? Because I've just reminded you God uses everyday common people to do crazy stuff. He uses everyday common people to bring wholeness to entire cities and nations and, and, and individuals. He cares on the same level. God wants us to stand beneath the same stars with the same calling and step out into the same unknown. God is asking us to step out and God, Jesus, he says he'll do the rest and that he will overcome. So what am I supposed to preach about? And so I sat there in that. And it really frustrated me. Because, like, I want to give a good sermon. I want to be a good leader. I want to accomplish things. I want to provide answers that you might need. I want to help. I want to save. I want to provide. Even when I know that I don't know. (laughs) So suddenly I'm back at my desk. I put my headphones on and I turned off the lights and I'm like, fine, then you write the sermon. About this time, Pastor Tom came into, we share these temporary offices. He came in, he tapped me on the shoulder and he's like, you doing all right? And I flipped down my, (laughs) I flipped down my headphones. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, oh, it's good. Never mind. Never mind. He just flipped the light off. He just left. I sat in that room by myself for like the next three hours. Just God and me, just asking this question, God, if you're the one who kills all the dragons and dandelions, then why is it so hard? If you want to step out, that's all you want from us is to step out. Then here's me stepping out. You know my dragons. You know my dandelions. You know the hurt in my life. Why can't I just, like Abram and Isaac, proclaim, you are my God, and that's enough? Why can't I just proclaim, like everybody else in the Bible, you're it, and I don't know, and so you make it all better? And then I wrote these words to myself that now I'm going to use brutally upon you. I'm going to suggest that for many, it's because we don't understand, and so don't choose to receive and then live out the dragon and dandelion killing power of Christ in our lives. I'm going to suggest that for many of us, it's a choice. Mm. Don't you say that. Some of my dragons and dandelions, they happened to me. I'm not saying they didn't. They happened to me too. Some of my stuff is, is beyond my control. 
I agree, don't you say that. And yet as I read the Bible, what I find out is I have a choice to allow those things in my life to roar from the sky above or grow all around me to the point I can't see even my feet and where I belong on this planet, or I can choose Jesus. Think about this for a second. Let this bother you. We've been talking about this for a few weeks here at Kesson. Okay, for some people, they're like, I want to feel the Holy Spirit. You do feel him when you're bothered. When you're in a sermon and you're like, oh, I don't, I don't think I like that. Right? Or when you're at home or something happens and you want to respond, but you get this angst that says, ah, slow down for a second, process this. Think about this. What is it that Jesus Christ brought into this world that still causes so much drama? What is it? Why is he such a big deal? Like, like who cares? He came 2,000 years ago, preached a bunch of stuff. Some people wrote it down. He died like hundreds of thousands of other people, by the way. Jesus wasn't the only person ever crucified. Why does he cause so much drama in people's lives? So I sat in that, and I began to ask. And the Bible's very clear about who Jesus claimed to be and what he was about. It's very clear about what he represents, John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the Son from the Father, full of, here's the words, grace and truth. John 1, 17 goes into a little bit more detail. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ embodies grace and truth. Grace and truth. But people love grace and truth. People love being around truth. People are truth seekers. There's whole websites devoted to it. People are, they love grace. They love helping. They love serving. What's the big deal about grace and truth? This is who Jesus embodies. Why doesn't the world just embrace him in every way possible? And why can't I embrace him in every way possible? And so use the power that he says he provides to remove these dragons and dandelions in my life when I step out. So we have to process that. We have to sit inside that. We have to look at his word and see what it teaches about when Jesus meets with broken people, who, by the way, don't represent always specific things, but really sometimes just humanity in general. Like the woman at the well. It should just be called the broken person who's thirsty. We get caught up in the woman, and we get caught up in all these aspects. She's sitting at a well, and everything's symbolic. No, it's a lady who's thirsty by herself. She's by herself for a reason, and we're going to read about it. And watch what Jesus does when he approaches this person. John 4, chapter, uh, John chapter 4, verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus is at this well. And he said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying it to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this living water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me the water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. The first thing we need to realize that Jesus does by walking up to this woman at this well is he speaks to her. 
which in this culture would bring value and worth to her, which in this culture is something he should not have done because she is a hybrid. She is, she is not Jewish. She is not something else. She's a Samaritan, which is kind of a, 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 a dirty race to Jewish people. And it's something that you don't talk with. You certainly don't drink with or eat with. You barely associate with. As a matter of fact, if you see one, uh, you know, you cross the other side of the street and you have nothing to do with. But Jesus sees her by herself and he asks her for what she has, water. So he shows her great respect. He shows her that she's valuable. He shows her that she's that she's. Important. He shows her, in spite of her place in life, grace. Okay, this is what Jesus does all the time throughout the whole book. He shows up to the wrong people and says, hey, you're important. Hey, you're valuable. Hey, you, up in the tree. Zacchaeus, come on to my house. I know you're the worst tax collector in town and everybody here hates you, which is probably why you're up in the tree, because people would stab you in the back if you were down in this crowd. But come on, let's go. Right? There's all these things that he does, and people are like, wow, he's so grace-filled. And people who are bent towards grace love this about Jesus. We love it. We're like, I love Jesus because he's just, the reason he did so many great things is because he helped so many people. Do you think Jesus, in his physical life, helped more people than Mother Teresa? No. He didn't. He, didn't, he, didn't, he wasn't around that long. He didn't have nearly that platform. There were no planes. Right? He didn't fly around different countries and speak and help. So your whole idea that Jesus is great because he helps people, because he, he, he addresses people's needs, that just grace alone is, is why people love him, it's faulty and it's just not true. He does show grace, though, and it's incredible. He also makes clear the thing that grace should make clear to all of us. The problem is seldom the problem. This is what's so powerful about grace. When you see someone past their, their skin color, past their belief system, even past their sexual orientation, past what they claim to be or not be, and you see them, then suddenly you can have grace for them upon their story, and suddenly you can be someone that lives a grace-filled life. Suddenly you can show this grace to really anyone. Because whatever it is that hits your story, that connects with your story, that rubs you wrong, is probably not the problem, even in your own story. You can become a person of grace. You can become a person that can move inside love into people's lives. But this is where it gets really awesome. Jesus asked this woman to step out and give me what you have. He says to her, I'll do the rest. And then Jesus Christ invites this woman to step through grace into truth and says one of the meanest things I think you can say to someone in this situation and maybe one of the meanest things in the Bible. Verse 16, Jesus says to this woman, who he knows everything about, go, uh, go call your husband and have him come over here. And the well gets quiet. The rope stops being pulled. It's just nothing but water dripping back down in. She's not making any eye contact. Jesus is making all kinds of eye contact. <laughs> and he just waits. Because she has a choice to make. She's being confronted, although with grace, with truth. About her choices. About her life. About what she claims about herself. Everything. And Jesus waits. I like to imagine solid minute. And she pulls the rest of the bucket up just in case she has to run because she doesn't know how he's going to respond. She sets it on the well side and she turns and she faces him. And she says, I don't have a husband. 
Now, you may not think in this culture that's a significant thing. In this culture at this time, it's very significant, especially because it leads to the following question. Oh, are you a widow? Or, oh, what happened next? You know those things you avoid in your story because they always lead to more questions about your story? Yeah, a bunch of people nodded, just like 12 of you right now. You're like, yes! Like, please don't ask me about this because it always leads to this, and I'm so embarrassed. This is what's happening here. She knows. She's been down this road. I don't have a husband. And then Jesus... He just, he just twists that thing, right? This is what I'm telling you. He does. Listen, he says, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. And then he says these words to her, and I think his posture changed. I think everything changes, and he looks at her, and he goes, but what you said is true. See, she, she was there. She was honest. She was authentic, and so she was able to be truthful with the brokenness of her story because of the grace that God showed her through talking with her, through asking her for water, through sharing with her uh, uh, in a conversation that respected who she was, and then he shared truth with her that the choices you've made have destroyed you and are hurting you, and he says to her, and you were honest, and you were truthful, and because of that, I can bring healing into your life. Let me say something about truth. Let me say something about sin. Let me say something about brokenness. God wants you to stop sinning because sin hurts you. That's it. He doesn't want you to stop sinning because it's, he, he doesn't want you to have fun, because he wants you to be different, because he, he wants you to hum and, on a grassy field somewhere and, and, or attend church more times than anyone else or serve or help or give. That's not why he wants you to turn to him and give yourself to him and receive his grace and hear his truth. He wants you to hear truth because the reality is when you are sinning, sin hurts you. Jesus at this point moves further into her story and he shares with her things she thought she would never hear about how he's the Messiah, how he's the one who came to bring the truth and bring the spirit and bring the healing that she needed. They could have talked there, we don't know, for 20, 25 minutes about scripture and life and conversations people would die to have today. This woman who was honest about her brokenness is sitting there over water. Sharing a cup, apparently, with Jesus Christ because he didn't bring one himself. Because Jesus always shows up and says, give me what you got, let me show you things. And so she gives him what he has, and he says, here's the thing, you're valuable, but you're making some really garbage choices. <laughs> and she says, what do you mean? And he says, you need to make choices that bring fresh water into your life. You need to make choices. Can I have a little more? Thank you so much. Can you need to make choices that actually bring healing into your story? Because the truth is you're hurting yourself by doing all these things. And I know because I'm grace embodied that the problem is seldom the problem. It's not about the men. It's not about the culture. It's not about the time you were born. Stop with all the excuses. It's just about you. It's just about you. I mean, soak in it. Feel it. This is what Jesus does time and time and time again. Matthew 9 says, Jesus reclined at a table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners and Frank? Everybody knows about Frank. He's horrible. And Frank's just sitting there like, hey, guys, 
like, like it's unbelievable. Every time the guy shows up in the town, he goes to the very worst part of town and then has a drink in the bar of the very worst part of town. Every time. And then shows up at the biggest church on Sunday morning and preaches to people. And that next night, he's back with those same people. What is your problem? See, people can't handle this grace and truth reality of Jesus. I asked earlier, what is the the thing about Jesus Christ and what is it that he brought into this world that still causes so much drama? This is it. Jesus wasn't black and white enough in his teaching and behavior. He was opposing and embracing. He was convicting and forgiving. He was grace and he was truth. See, truth people love truth but they don't like when you add grace to it. It softens it. Truth is truth is truth, man. That's a quote from a guy who left our church. I said, thank you for the spot, right? It's good. Grace people are like, love everybody no matter what. Ah, oh, you're living in my house. You're eating all my stuff. You're squatting in my life. Grace be on you. What? No. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus was some hybrid of the two, and this is what people didn't like about him. I'll put a picture up. If grace was black for sake of argument and truth was white, Jesus would be somewhere in the middle. He was gray. And this is exactly what crucified him, was his grayness was the people he would not side with. Oh, you come to the Pharisee function. Come hang out. Come give us your insights. Come be part of our family and wear our robes. Ah, I can't do it. Hey, be anti-anything church, anti-anything belief. Basically become a Roman pagan citizen. Nah, I can't do it. What are you going to do? I'm going to hang out somewhere in the middle. What? You can't do that. I sort of can because I'm God. And like these black and white ways that you think about life, they're not like from me. Like, I call people using stars into the unknown to do things they don't even know about because I want to show them stuff because I'm God and my stuff's always better than their stuff. See, I'm Jesus, and I'm here today to represent the reality that grace and truth are both very important, but the reality is you guys are all truth and you guys are all grace, and that's what makes you hate each other and kill each other and sin and break laws and become people nobody wants to follow. The church is a safe haven for this kind of thinking today. We love our black and white thinking. We love to tell people what's right and what's wrong. And you can sin this much and go to heaven, but if you sin this much, well, we don't know. We do know if you sin this much, you're not going to heaven, that's for sure. Where in the Bible do you determine who goes to heaven? Where have you ever read that? I don't determine who goes to heaven. And I have a feeling those of you who believe that way are going to sit on the heaven plane because there could be one, you don't know. (laughs) In coach, you don't know, there could be coach, with people you can't even believe are there, right? And and somehow, because it's heaven, they're going to be in first class, and you're going to be in coach, but you're all going to be together, because it's all equal in heaven. Just, just, Just soak in the reality that you really don't determine much, except how authentic you're going to be with what you hand God, And then listen when he hands back truth. And the only way you can hand God your full story, the only way Danny can even stand up here and preach this sermon, is to realize that by grace I am saved, and by the truth of Jesus Christ and who he is, I am a different person every single day than I used to be, and I will be different for all time, one day complete and whole in his arms. And so I can preach to you that this is really hard for me, but that I believe it. 
and that Jesus Christ is the only one who can kill the dragons and the dandelions in my life. The church cannot be a safe place for this kind of thinking any longer. And I'll just gently put this question on the screen. What's your posture to people who hold a different value than you? Is it black? Is it white? Is it truth? Is it all grace? Or is it Jesus? Who openly says, I love you. But that's really messed up. (laughs) That's the Bible if it was written today. I love you, but that is really messed up. I don't care that you're a Samaritan, but being married that many times says there's some stuff inside your story that's unresolved. I want to help with that. Grace and truth and the beautiful grayness of Jesus makes it so that we can walk through life knowing when to be sometimes more truth than grace, when to be sometimes more grace than truth, but always realizing that it's Jesus Christ who steps into our lives and remolds us and remodels us and so kills our dragons and dandelions. It's a beautiful and difficult picture to realize that I'll put it up, only he who overcame can defeat the things defeating you. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful broken picture. But to experience this means that you have to be honest with Christ about where you are. You have to start. You have to go first. You have to proclaim that I am a broken person in need of wholeness. That I am that I am someone who needs and that true wholeness, here it is, comes through embracing both the truth about our lives and the grace God offers through his. This is what we're selling here. This is what we're offering. This is what Jesus is proclaiming. This is what these gatherings are all about. This simple statement right here that you can find wholeness in your life through embracing both the truth about who and where you are and also the grace that God offers through his son on the cross. And ladies and gentlemen, when lives embrace this truth, this is how dragons die. This is how someone can hate you and you can just truly, not just not just physically love them back, like, mm, but truly like, like, I love you, man. Like I see through grace that the problem is not the problem. I'm not your problem. I can see in my own life the decisions I've made. I can shame myself and blame myself. I can have grace instead upon myself and realize my problem's not that problem and what I did and that behavior. My problem is that I wasn't leaning on Jesus Christ who spoke truth into how I was behaving and how I am today and says I accept you exactly like that and so brings completion to my story through his cross. And so whole I live in harmony with this world and with my fellow man, even when in conflict, even when in disagreement. There is a beautiful place that Jesus offers, a rare and difficult to find place, a place this world wants to spew out, a place of both grace and truth where we can love people we disagree with, where we can proclaim the truths within this book while recognizing the value of the people who live differently than it. That's what's so beautiful about this. 
It is so accepting and so convicting and so forgiving and so healing and so righteous and so confrontive. It is so gentle and so fierce. It is everything that Jesus wanted it to be because it all points to him. And he wants to be that in your life and so free you from this black and white world you live in that brings so much tearing, not just to the people you spew it over, but to your own self. Because man, to think that way about other people, I can't imagine how you are about yourself. There just must be a section of your life you just hate. Black, it's wrong. Or a section of your life you're not accountable for. It's all grace-filled. I didn't mean it. Bummer. Why can't you be both? Oh, because you're not leaning into Jesus. Because the reason that we don't kill the dragons in our lives is because, let's put it up, because we don't understand and so don't choose to receive and then live out the dragon and dandelion killing power of Christ in our lives. This is why. But today you can change that. Today you can choose differently. Today, I want to give you a chance yourself to step out. There's nothing magical about what I'm going to ask you to do. It's simply a symbol. On your piece of paper, on your seat is a piece of paper. It's gray. And I was going to give you some really neat words to write on there like trauma, past, pain. I, I, I've decided I'm not going to do that today. Instead, I'm just going to leave this piece of paper blank and let you write on it what you're supposed to write on it. And then as a symbol of biblically stepping out, I'm going to ask that if you want, and I don't expect this to be for everybody, but if you want over this next song, over this next few minutes, that you take whatever it is that's keeping you from understanding this and leaning into Jesus Christ, that you take it and you come forward And you leave it. I have places to leave it on both sides of the room. I don't know what you're leaving. I don't know what you're symbolically stepping out into. This could be a positive thing. This could be pain. This could be beautiful. This could be broken. I have no idea. And I release my need to know. What I do know is that Jesus Christ wants to be a part of your story. And that it's going to take you understanding that it is through his grace and his truth that you will find the wholeness that you've been looking for. And so we as a community, we're gonna be a safe place for people to step out on that journey. That's what Kesed's gonna be. Today, symbolically, from here forward all the time, to step out into the unknown, to step out into the place where God just wants to show you stuff. The place where we can be both messed up and valuable, where we don't all have to agree. A place where we can come and leave what we brought with us so that we can become the people God's called us to be lighter and different than we can build ourselves. And so when you're ready, please come forward and leave whatever it is that God has called you to leave. 
Let's pray for a moment. Lord, thank you for what's about to happen. Thank you for the people, God, that you have challenged today to step forward, to step out into the unknown. Thank you, God, for the way that you have revealed yourself, for the way, Lord, that you are remaking us, for the way, God, that you are renewing us, for the way, God, that you are both speaking truth into our lives while covering us in your grace. Thank you for being a God who can love someone like me. I pray every person in this room experiences that love now as they courageously step out into your arms 